Hey, Biz Dads, welcome back to another episode. This week, we've got a great interview with our friends from AECOM. A lot of questions have been asked about when are we going to get back in stadiums and arenas. These guys answer some of those questions, give us some things to look out for. We're going to talk a little bit about what's going on this weekend, some things that Andres and I have been up to, a little name image likeness or NIL and what's going on in the world of sports. More MLB talk and how they start to disappoint Andres and I. A little talk on how the market is changing. We'll get into that interview and then this week's Millennial Minute with Twist. Let's get into it. This week's Biz Dads. All right, Andres. Hope you had a good weekend. We had a pretty good weekend here. Not a lot going on. Got a week off of weekend off of baseball. Got a chance to go out to the lake. And I realized, I think I'm on the verge of a midlife crisis, dude. Oh, I found that out a year ago. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we got to talk a little bit about this because for me, there's been a lot of things that I've wanted to do. Like I've been looking and shopping at Jeeps. I need a toy Jeep to drive around. I, I'm trying to talk my wife into buying a boat instead of going on a week on a vacation this week and use that money for a down payment on a boat. I don't know. Maybe I just need a toy. I, I don't know. I'm looking at 4K TVs. It's been a busy, busy weekend. Yeah, you might need to talk to somebody. That sounds like a lot of, lot of toys. There might be something deeper going on. Well, you know, the most I, important I, thing I, is I can't afford any of them. So well, I, you know, I turned 40 and I yeah. felt good. And then I turned 41, I played hoops on my 41st birthday and threw out my back. And so I've spent the last four and a half, five months in physical therapy. So in all seriousness, turning 41 sucked. Turning 40 was okay. Look, man, it's just, for me, I'm in the middle of it. I'm 41 and a half, I guess. I'm, we'll get into it somewhere down the road. But my 40th year was crazy with, with some health stuff. And I'm like looking at it now going, man, I've been locked in my house with my kids for three months. And I want to get out on the water. I want to get out on a boat. I want to go up to a lake house. I want to. I want to do something. I want to get in my jeep and cruise Smyrna. I don't know. Just all crazy ideas. Right none of which right. I can afford. <laughs> Tell me about golf balls. You, you got um, some scheme. Well, there? maybe this is With maybe this is how I can start paying for it. Ben, this weekend we went over to our friend's house. What's the number one thing you try to do when you're trying to have an adult conversation with your friends and the kids are running around like crazy? You got to figure out the ultimate task, right? Well, I created a monster. I sent them out looking for golf balls on the golf course and told them I'd give them a quarter for every golf ball. And if they gave back really good ones, I'd give them 50 cents. So now for the last five days, all Ben has talked about is his business that he is going to sell used golf balls that he finds. He wants to stop at every golf course we drive by and go walk through the woods. I mean, I love his entrepreneurial spirit, but it's causing me some annoyance and angst trying to figure out how am I going to, Put, let this kid do his little thing, but not stop at every golf course I drive by and not be able to play. Last week, it was mowing lawns. This week, it's finding golf balls. I like where this is headed. <laughs> That's good stuff. Yeah, no, this week, we were thinking that we might actually get out and play a little baseball, but Heidi and I are going to see her folks at the end of June. And so we had the family conference with everybody and just decided, you know, we're just going to wait a few weeks. I think everybody was kind of generally okay. I don't know. Renzo, I don't think Renzo really really cared. I mean, it's, he's not old enough to play in the Smyrna Little League. He's not six yet. We probably could have snuck him in, but we just elected we'd pass. So that caused a, a few interesting conversations with the family. Um, so you guys are doing a little quarantining to get ready to go we're visit? We're doing a little social distancing. We're trying. Like I said, we're probably on the more conservative end of things. One big change for me this week, I started back to work full time. It's crazy. Like everybody I know that's at big companies in Atlanta and around the country, like they're still at home and they're probably going to be at home through the summer and might end up having more of a work from home kind of permanent situation or a few days in the office. But we opened our doors. Everybody's back in the office. So 
I don't know. It's just it, it just feels empty in the building. That was yeah. my first impression. There's like maybe 10 or 15 percent of the building is back. And we're a small company. So I think smaller companies, the ownership tend to want to get people back in the office. And yeah, you, you know, know, we had our very first team gathering. We actually did it at my house because our offices are in downtown Atlanta and there's a lot going on in downtown Atlanta right now. So I had everybody come to the house and it was the first time we had the whole team together since all this happened. And it was good to get everybody together. You know, it was good to brainstorm and, and ideate. We're working on this thing at Trenches where we're actually sending these little back-to-work prep kits to some of our clients or prospective clients and, and got to work on those. But in asking all of these people when they're gonna, where they'd like this shipped to their office, are they in the office or, you know, most of them were sending in the home address. Most people aren't going back to the office till 2021. I mean, all yeah. these major corporations, 2021. Well, as the folks that from AECOM will talk about later in the show, there's just a lot of variables, a lot of considerations. So anyway, that's been a change. I was feeling pretty productive actually working from home. I've got a good home office set up and we didn't really ever get the option of, you know, working from home and coming in. So I'm back in the office while the summer is here and people are kind of still working from home. It should be a, a pretty light commute. And then tomorrow I'm headed to Charlotte for my first uh, road trip. So I'm going up to see a group of advisors outside of Charlotte. It'll be interesting. I mean, I've met with a couple of the folks for the first meeting, but the other two people that I'm meeting in the afternoon, I've never met. So it's kind of like you've never met them and you're meeting in the middle of a pandemic. And so it's like all those things that you talked about, you know, do you shake hands? Do you fist pump? Do you touch elbows? And then how long do you talk about all this before you kind of get into, you know, talking about business and the whole purpose of the visit? So I'll let you know next week. Yeah, I mean, you travel a lot for work and a lot more than I did. I travel a decent bit, but you travel a lot really. I mean, it's hard when you, you got to get face to face in our business. I'm really interested in how those face to face meetings go. Yeah. I was supposed to have one today with the advisor in like New Jersey, New York. And of course it was a zoom call and it took a week to get the meeting. And then like the zoom technology failed and we had to reschedule. So, you know, sometimes there's fits and starts when you're in the biz dev world, but yeah, I mean, definitely in our line of work, there's, there's certainly some of the clients like to touch and feel and, and see you. So more to come on that. We got our house refinanced. Finally, the closing Excellent. was kind of interesting. Yep. Feel good about that. Uh, don't have to make a mortgage payment in June or July. So party at my house. There you go. Um, yeah, the closing was kind of different. You know, usually you go into these like stodgy law firms and you hike up to the, you know, 25th floor and you go into this little conference room and you just sign like 50 pieces of paper, none of which you have really time to read. And then you leave and uh, you <laughs> paid like, you know, 1800 bucks for that or something. So in this case, it was like 90 degrees out. We had the air conditioning running and the lawyer came down and he's sitting out in the sun sweating and giving us all the paperwork and you know, we signed all the paperwork while we're sitting in our car with our, our masks on. So that was kind of different. But yeah, we got that done. And then um, I'm going to get my first and hopefully only COVID test. Apparently in Smyrna, you can now apparently now go down the street to a couple different places and do a drive through. So I'm not getting the COVID test because I believe I have COVID. I'm getting the COVID test out of an abundance of caution because of that trip we're taking to see yeah. the grandparents and We've got family from Illinois coming and us from Georgia and family from Iowa. So we're just like with everybody coming, you know, we opened up quicker in Georgia, uh, as, as the country knows. And so just to make everybody feel safe and peace of mind. I'm now, are you doing the full nasal back of your brain test type thing, <laughs> or is it like a blood test for an antibody? I think it's the nasal thing. You can apparently, they give you the swab, you stick it up your nose, give it back to them. And then two days later you get the results. So. I will let you know how it goes. 
Yeah. I, you know, I've wrestled with whether or not I want to get tested. We've been fortunate. I don't think any of us have had it, but you know, you talk about all these asymptomatic people that are, that are out there and who the heck knows? Um, right. well, good luck with that, man. Hopefully you're, uh, you're COVID free. For sure. There's definitely going to be, you know, just some new experiences, I guess, for June with work, just getting back into more of a, a travel kind of environment. There's still a ton of people though, that I'm calling on that. They're like, we're not meeting. Like, we're not seeing anybody. So yeah, I, I, I think, think a lot of people are still not seeing people. And yeah, I think that, you know, the, the big corporations are leading the way, right? right. They're, they're not yeah. getting in the office. They're not doing meetings. There's, it, it's going to be interesting for our world because you know, we're, we're doing this small little, you know, again, re- return to work prep kit that we put together, which included things like a mask and hand sanitizer. It included this cool little pull for your keychain for pushing elevator buttons or, you know, pulling door handles, a little fun memory game. You take their mind off of things, a little phone sanitizing kit, that kind of thing. We were sending them all out this week and I was kind of weirded by, I was like, do I do it? I mean, do we, are we sending the right message? But I think, you know, we put enough stuff in there that people will like at the end of the day for us, it's about us just reminding our clients that we're there for them and that we want to continue to be a solution. Uh, so hopefully it works. Hopefully it starts to generate some results. Producer Twist did a great job at creating this really creative box that uh, I think is going to fit real well and people will like it. So hopefully it works and hopefully that'll help generate a little bit of business. But let's jump into this week's sports and biz talk. How about that, Andres? I like it. There's a lot going on. The big thing for me that I've been paying close attention to is this name image likeness in the collegiate athletic world. Uh, each state has talked about it. The NCAA has talked about it. There's no doubt that the NCAA is, you know, arguably one of the most controversial governance organizations out there on how they react to things and the aging rule book that they have and the modernization that's needed. But this name image likeness thing is pretty interesting. For me, I think student athletes need to have an opportunity to make some money that the student athletes need to remember that they're getting this full scholarship in most cases. But I also know that it's no longer an amateur sport. There's too much money in the business. One of the things that I saw was really interesting that it, where NIL is starting to threaten, you know, the fairness, if you will, of, of collegiate athletics is Florida just passed a name image likeness bill. And in the press conference, the governor actually spoke up and said to college athletes, now is the time for you to come to Florida and attend one of our amazing universities and be a student athlete here where you're going to have more benefits than you will in competitive states. And I thought that was one great marketing on his part. What an amazing platform, but also, damn, I mean, when you're first to the table here, it could be pretty lucrative. Especially with, you know, just the options that you have in Florida, you know, from the standpoint of, of, of schools, it seems like states are going to have to move quickly on this because Florida already produces, I don't know, arguably some of the best high school talent in the country, you know, Texas, Georgia, California, no doubt, right there. But it's hard to get those kids out of Florida in the first place. And now if you throw in the incentives are better and stronger and clearer. I mean, people just want clarity. There's so much confusion when you look at all this. And so people just are trying to get clarity, especially if they have aspirations to try to play in the NFL or in the NBA, you know. Well, and that's where the recruiter is going to be so important in this process to be able to talk to these student athletes. I mean, over the last 10 years, I would argue that schools have been more successful than ever before in getting talent out of Florida. Urban Meyer at Ohio State, John Harbaugh at Michigan, the the Nick Sabans and the Kirby Smarts getting the SEC border states are getting more Florida talent. 
these bigger schools who have made recruiting a true marketing tactic have figured it out. And they're getting to these kids that are high profile out of Florida, which is, to your, to your point, one of the, the most fertile places for incredible high school talent. But now the recruiter in the state of Florida, or, you know, California, as they continue to pass those bills, you know, Florida being 2021, being the first one that's going to enact it, you're talking about getting kids in there and saying to them point blank, it no longer matters how much you play. It no longer matters what TV network we're on. You've got number one opportunity no other kid's going to have, if you play football or basketball or whatever in the state of Florida at one of these institutions, which are historically great institutions, athletically, you're going to make money. Well, and I'm curious what happens. I don't know a lot about recruiting because I wasn't a division one, two or three athlete, but I mean, my image of what the recruiting process is, is it's, you know, a lot of text messaging, they come into tournaments, they're watching, they're getting to know the family, they're getting to know the coaches, right? They're building the relationship and they've got these windows of time in which they can engage with the student athlete. They go to these elite camps and watch them, et cetera. But like a lot of that's about academics and athletics and the collegiate experience on the campus and all those types of things, right? And the training and all the stuff. Who's talking to them now about like how we're going to maximize your value while you're at Ohio State or while you're at, you know, the that's University what it's of become. Georgia? That's what right. recruiting like, has become. Who's making that pitch, though? Like, is Nick Saban making that business pitch? Absolutely. Or is it some, like, assistant tight ends coach who played college football and, you know, has a business degree? But, like, what does that individual really – how does that individual know all the intricacies of licensing and, like, how we're going to maximize – you know what I mean? Like, it almost feels like going to be this whole wave of, like, training the coaches on how to maximize oh. – the pitch. Don't worry about it because that's happening. It's already been happening. They're they're on the front lines of this thing. I mean, these coaches, they are expert salespeople. One, there's a recruiting a recruiting coordinator and an entire recruiting staff at all these major schools for their football, basketball programs, etc. The University of Alabama football team has 90 full time personnel. Nick Saban mm-hmm. has 90 employees that work for him, and a lot of them are focused on off the field stuff. Recruiting has been pomp and circumstance now for a while the old movies of the blue chips and the programs of the world are probably even outdated and how much of a pomp and circumstance it is at this point because you're talking about kirby smart flying in on a helicopter to a kid and meeting him just because he can yeah these recruiting coordinators and these head coaches are probably the foremost experts in what's happening with nil because they know what it means, and the one, and and it's not just the ones that have it passed in their state; it's the ones that are going to. How are we going to address it and compete against it? Because if it. I'm at Alabama and I have, I don't, my state has not passed a name, image, likeness law. Well, I've got to know how to combat Florida and the head coach there, and the head coach of Miami, and the head coach of Florida State, because that's the number one thing that's coming out. It's going to be messy. And again, I, I yeah. think not enough value is put on these, the money, the scholarship the cost of attendance that is already being paid to these kids. This is a slippery, slippery slope, but it's one that we're going to have to figure out how to tread. Yeah, it sure feels that feels like it. It it feels like a lot of lawyers are going to be involved and a lot of agents are going to be lurking because it just feels like there's going to be a lot of dollars in play and at risk, if you will. And I, yeah, I just, I haven't followed the the coaching and the, the college football and college. I, you know, I follow college basketball a lot, but just, I didn't, I didn't realize that the coaches were that that far along, if you will, in being able to articulate to a player and their family, you know, how 
they can maximize the value from an NIL perspective. So that's, that's, yeah. that's great. You know, these head coaches are, are, are so many, there's so much more, they're not about the X's and O's anymore. They're CEOs and they've got to learn marketing. They've got to learn all of those tactics because the social media has become how they communicate with these kids now. It's just nuts. But talking about slippery slopes, the MLB major league baseball seems to be on the slipperiest of slopes. We talked about it a little bit last week, but Manfred now coming back out and saying he doesn't anticipate being able to get on the field because there's such a divide. I'm really over this. I'm over these Major League Baseball players arguing over how many games and what their pay is going to be. We need America's pastime on the field. We need to be able to watch baseball. And uh, they're going to do some pretty irreparable damage, irreparable damage. Uh, in my opinion, what do you think? Yeah, no, I agree. I'm, I'm, I'm growing more and more frustrated. And I think my frustration is also just because of, you know, all the stuff that's going on in our country, right? You've got COVID, which is popping up more in certain States. Um, you know, I, I hope we've hit the bottom in terms of the economic, uh, fallout. I know that the retail numbers that came out, uh, today, showed that retail spending in May was up almost 18%. So people are back in retail stores spending money. Obviously, the country went through just a huge convulsion the last few weeks in terms of what happened to George Floyd. And now you have Rayshard Brooks. There's just a lot of frustration. And when baseball is, you know, millionaires and billionaires are fighting over what feels like something that, like you said, it's America's pastime. It, it feels like they're just sort of losing a little bit of touch with kind of America right now. No doubt. I think America definitely wants to see it's athletes and it's heroes and people back on the field. Right. Um, and just continue to see this in the headlines. It's just, it, it gets frustrating. I'm, I'm almost like you, I'm, I'm sort of growing over it. If, if they didn't play baseball this summer, I can't say that I'd miss it. I know there's a lot of diehard baseball fans out there. We've talked about it a couple of times on the show. Um, and obviously the Braves, you know, are pretty close to both you and I here in Smyrna, you know, they've got an awesome like ballpark, yeah. but, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just getting, tiresome you know it's unfortunate because uh, it's going to hurt major league baseball again like i said but what it does do a positive note is it's going to open the door for organizations like mls to that are already sweeping the younger gen z and millennial generations who are not major league baseball fans and will not be major league baseball fans uh after this it opens the door for them to take over and to to kind of even up or get a little more relevant as one of the big three something to keep yeah. an eye on well speaking of i want to i want to add one short little story um i think it's a big story personally that happened in sports before we jump into business so last week a friend of mine i call him a friend if i've met you twice you're a friend if i've met you once hopefully uh i tell you i'll meet you again so i have met him a couple times <laughs> but um guy named uh xavier Gut gutierrez was named the ceo of the phoenix coyotes um, yeah. the NHL hockey team. So there's a little bit of a tie to Atlanta. So Xavier Gutierrez works, well, was working prior to becoming the CEO, being named the CEO of the Coyotes, he was working for Clear Lake. Clear Lake is run by a, a Latino individual named Jose Feliciano. He's probably one of the most successful minority private equity managers in the country. Well, the Coyotes were purchased, I think it was last year, by a gentleman named Alex Morello. And if you remember that name, he tried to buy the Hawks yeah. about five or six years ago, yep. and he was turned down by the NBA governors because they didn't think he had um, the capital. They didn't right. think he had the balance sheet. 
uh, basically. So he ended up buying the Coyotes. Last week, he named one of his former employees uh, from Clear Lake, Xavier Gutierrez, to be the CEO, which I think is awesome for the NHL because uh, Xavier is the first Latino uh, CEO of an NHL franchise. They've got a huge Hispanic fan base in Phoenix. 40% of the population in Phoenix is, is Hispanic, so they probably are, you know, trying to figure out ways that they can tap that. They want to build a new arena. And I just couldn't be more, you know, proud of him and, and happy. He's the first person in a major professional sport that I can say that I've actually met. So kind of, I don't know, for me, it was a, it was kind of a really sort of proud moment and a, uh, and a unique moment and historic moment as far as, uh, you know, the NHL is concerned. So congratulations to him. And that's great. I'm looking forward to following that franchise. I've got family in the Phoenix Valley area and I don't know how, you know, competitive they are as a franchise, you know, but, uh, but hopefully he'll get things, you know, going and I'm just, you know, happy to be able to call him a, a friend. That's great, man. Well, good luck to him. I, I do think they've got, you know, the organization on the turnaround there which will be exciting to watch. I saw something interesting this week, jumping into business. I saw an ad for, I think it was Charles Schwab, and they were talking about selling $5 blocks of, of the biggest stocks on the stock market, the Alphabets, Google, Amazon, you know, Facebook, Apple, where you could buy $5 chunks. And it just got me thinking about how, you know, how drastic the market is changing throughout all of this and how it's, starting to target more of those millennials and the Gen Z investors, it's uh, it's pretty interesting to keep an eye on. I'm sure you've got a better better idea of some of it than I do, but I want to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, no, uh, there's been there's been a lot of there's been a lot of activity in the stock slice market, as I call it. Um, the concept is basically, you know, if you want to own Amazon and Facebook and Google and Netflix and McDonald's and EA Sports and Nike and Home Depot and Target and Apple, to buy one share of all those companies' stocks, you'd have to spend 5500 bucks. Well, with Schwab Stock Slice or Robinhood, and there's probably other platforms out there, those are the two, two of the bigger ones. You can invest $5 in Netflix instead of spending $415. And think about it. If you're a, you know, a novice investor, if you're a millennial investor, if you want to start an account for your kids, if you want to get into the market, this is a way that you can go in and buy, you know, 1% of a share of Netflix and not an entire single share. And well, I mean, what's uh, the, who's the audience for that? If, is it just people who just want to say they own stock? Because if if I'm looking at the stock price and one uh, piece of stock costs a thousand bucks of Alphabet, right? Yeah. And I'm putting $5 into it. For every dollar that thing goes up, I'm not making, I mean, I'm not, it's not noticeable. Why am I doing it? Well, yeah, I mean, look, I, I work with a, uh, I work with a millennial and so Hertz, the car rental company filed bankruptcy a couple of weeks ago. And interestingly, even though they filed bankruptcy, their stock rose like almost 800 or 900%. And a lot of the buying, you know, Wall Street folks attributed to you know, these platforms like Robinhood, where you could buy shares of Hertz for, you know, less than a dollar. And the stock went on a tear. It was delisted um, temporarily by the NYSE. And then they appealed, Hertz appealed, they got temporary relief. I think the company is in big trouble. 
Uh, they'll probably go through a pretty massive restructuring and the stock will get wiped out. So all those people that bought, you know, $50 in Hertz shares will probably go to zero is my, is my guess. But it, it wasn't the only company uh, in the last week or two that uh, ran into financial difficulty. The equities were down 85, 95% and people were scooping them up through these platforms. But I think going back to your question, I think the idea is for somebody who, you know, is a young professional, you know, they might be socking away money in their 401k, but it's in mutual funds and it's in ETFs and they don't really see and get to follow the market. Um, this is a way for them to participate and buy into brands and names and some of these technology companies that they're reading about and hearing about and not, you know, quote unquote, bet the ranch. So it's interesting. And if you look at Robinhood as a company, look, this company's on a tear, Brad. They have raised, I think they're up to their series F round as in Frank. So they start with A, B, C, D, E. Now they're at F. Just raised about $300 million in their Series F round. Wow. Close to $300 million. They raised 280 in May, valuing the business at over $8 billion. And it's like a who's who of venture capital firms behind them. And if you think about the value of the business, I mean, they opened 3 million accounts already this year. So that's crazy. Think about them. They're making a little tiny fractional, you know, couple pennies here and there times all those accounts and all that trading activity. It's, um, it's going to be interesting to watch over the next, you know, few months and years. Yeah. You know, one of the things uh, I saw interesting about Hertz off topic here, but Hertz through bankruptcy is selling a ton of their cars. Yeah, maybe that's the solution for my Jeep for my midlife crisis. I'll have to look into that. <laughs> see, if, see if you can find yourself. Yeah, they had a really complex balance sheet. They financed themselves by securitizing their their vehicles. It's a mess because the vehicle market is obviously quite soft right now. You, there's a ton of used cars out there, so it'll be there'll probably be a lot of uh, a lot of vehicles for sale. So get yourself out there and get you a cherry you red. If you're in the market, check out Hertz. <laughs> Nothing like buying a car from somebody that smoked six pack of cigarettes in it and didn't know what, you know, what else was going on. Exactly. Uh, well, Hey, look, uh, bringing our worlds together. We've got a great, great guest list for this week. We talked about last week, uh, my buddy, Mark Payne joining us, but we've got an incredible group joining us from AECOM to talk a little bit about how we can get back into the sports world and what to expect. So as we talked about earlier, let's get into this week's interview. All right, Biz Dads, we've got a very special treat for you guys. You've all been asking what's going on in the sports world and when are we all going to get back. So hopefully we've got a couple unique answers for you guys today. I'd like to welcome in a dream team from AECOM with uh, quickly becoming you know leaders in the space, helping us all figure out how to get back to sports. I'd like to welcome in Mark Payne, the Director of Business Development, Mac Astorga, the VP of Return to Service Team, and John Nemeth, the VP AECOM Sports Americas. AECOM team, welcome to uh, the Biz Dads podcast. Thanks for having us. You know, this is pretty interesting for me. You know, we've talked about uh, Andres and I have a, a passion for where all of these things intersect in the sports and entertainment space. You guys are on the front lines, really probably fighting a fight you never thought you would, coming up with ideas you never thought you'd had to. But I know there's a lot of people interested in hearing some of that. So first... You know, we are dads. I think you guys are all dads here. You got a different age of kids. Tell us a little bit about yourselves. And then, John, if you could uh, wrap up and, and f tell us a little bit about AECOM. Let's start with you, Mark. Tell us about your family. 
Well, thanks for having us, Brad. Um, as you may or may not know, listeners, uh, Brad and I worked together for a long time back in the day, um, but uh, I'm here in Atlanta, uh, the director of business development for ACOM. I have three daughters, 12, 9, and 8, and I'm going to have three daughters, and that's it, and uh, we're going to try to survive it. And, <laughs> if you, uh, if, Listeners, if you could picture being outnumbered by the women in your life, that is Mark's life on a daily basis. The, the estrogen posse, as I like to call them. Uh, but uh, yes, uh, my 12-year-old my is now officially a preteen, and it's, it's, it's getting ugly. It's getting real ugly, Brad. <laughs> Mac, how about you? So yes, I ha- also have three children here in Atlanta, 18-year-old boy, headed off to UGA. We're very excited about that, a 16-year-old boy, and then a 14-year-old uh, almost 14-year-old girl. Boys are outnumbered. Or, I mean, outnumber the girls in our family, but actually we we sort by hair color. My family <laughs> might not be able to tell, but I'm a redhead, and I've birthed two additional redheads. So the, the reds outnumber the browns. That's how we sort in my family, actually, versus male or female. Uh, so, uh, yeah, lots of, uh, lots, of, lots of testosterone and estrogen. I got to jump in here with a question. My kids are younger, Mac. How many vehicles do you have in your driveway every day? (laughs) Well, depends uh, if we're in a pandemic or not, Andres, uh, actually. But um, no, I mean, we do have a couple. We, we, my boys share a vehicle, luckily, but there is always at least one or two boys, you know, other vehicles parked in our, you know, as a matter of fact, there's, I think, one out there right now, not appropriately parked and blocking the street a little bit. Uh, twist, if you can make note that an episode uh, probably around 57 to 60, we need to get back in touch with Mac for some advice on how to handle yeah. our kids as they grow up. Make a note of that. Yes. No, I've got great advice. Yeah, and you have to have lots of extra food around in your fridge because I have three kids that are like all under eight and we feed half the neighborhood. So I can only imagine if you have teenage kids. How many? Well, yeah, my my sixteen year old six five, uh, you know, and he's a big, he's an athlete. Uh, they're all actually kind of athletic, but yeah, he he manufactures, uh, uh, you know, like every month forty burritos, like healthy burritos <laughs> he makes that we freeze, and those are like four o'clock pre dinner snacks. Yes, and then like a, a you know like a post dessert. Yeah, a lot of food in this house. Yo, Mark Payne yes. still does that. Um, uh, well, <laughs> I, thought, I thought Mac was going to go with, uh, you know, with the parking store, you know, get off my lawn there for a second, you know, it's legally <laughs> parked in the street. So, you know, don't show your age. Well, wow. listen, I, I will, you know, I got yelled at about not digressing, but I will say one quick story. We had, uh, I have a neighborhood, you know, and, and, um, and, uh, when they were going to kids were going to high school, you know, one day this year, thank God I was home, but there was only two cars parked in the entire uh, like three blocks in my neighborhood, basically, and they were in front of my house, and they were my kids' friends, and they were parked, you know, like next to each other, like on the street. So the entire street was empty, but these two <laughs> idiots parked next to each other, and like one of them was like four feet off the curb, so the, literally the buses couldn't get through. <laughs> they were at school. I mean, it was like the most, there's like, there nobody. That was in the neighborhood newsletter, by the way. John, tell us a little about you, and then tell us something about uh, a little bit about AECOM. Yeah, I know. That's a batting cleanup with these two in the lineup is hard. Um, <laughs> I have three kids, 23-year-old girl who graduated. So I'm, gonna, I'm just going to, we're going to put this shot right on the table because I see that damn Jayhawk in the background. My 23-year-old graduated from MIZ, 
because it means more than the big, well, never. Um, Man, this is going to be fun. 23-year-old daughter who graduated from Mizzou, who's a uh, special ed teacher here in Kansas City. I've got a 21-year-old son who will be a senior this year at Mizzou, uh, double major, double minor, doing a little work in politics this summer, maybe wants to be a history teacher. And then I had a 16-year-old sophomore girl, well, she'll be a junior girl, I guess now, in high school. So yeah, we've uh, we've got a full we got a full boat. I started when I was seven. Uh, yeah, you look it. <laughs> in a fertility experiment, uh, <laughs> testing testing the, the ages of the, the the ability to reproduce at the preteen ages. But no, it's um, it's it's great. It, it keeps us it keeps us interested. Uh, you know, the, the two girls have absolutely no interest in sports at all, and uh, my son is a Yankees fan. He actually, he's actually, he's a Yankees fan and anybody else we work for most of the time, but there you go. He had a, he understands where the paycheck comes from. Smart kid. I don't know if they know that yet, but they think they, I think they get it. (laughs) The neat sports industry story for him was once upon a time, he wanted to be a sports journalist, did a lot of writing, did a lot of blogging. And when he was 12, he used to do uh, pregame scouting reports and then postgame wrap ups for one of the local sports talk shows in Boston. And, you know, the early days of cell phone, again, you judge me all you want, but he had a phone when he was like 12. Go up to his room one night, we hear him talking on the phone and look in like, Jack, who are you talking to? And, uh, you know, he just sort of get the, the, the sign, leave me alone, leave me alone. Comes back down. He said, well, I was doing post-game sports radio for the Celtics. So they asked me to come on and break down the game and give my hot take <laughs> on the on the <laughs> That night. And I'm like, do they know you're 12? <laughs> so yeah, awesome. he, he quickly lost the fascination with that and is now, like I said, economics and economics and history and Spanish and political science, I think. I don't know. But so anyway, it's, it's exciting. This is the Acom crew, some sports and then Mac, you know, Mac wears a lot of hats. I, I'm not going to give his title because I'll insult him by underselling what he does. But, you know, our, our company's company is a big company. The thing that that Mark and I used to like to say is, you know, we're right between chocolate and dog food. If you want to know where to find us, look between Hershey's and Purina. Because mm-hmm. when my firm was bought by AECOM and we were brought in, that's where we traded on the New York Stock Exchange. We were <laughs> we were always listed kind of right between Purina and Hershey's. But we we do a lot of stuff. We do a lot of weird stuff. Uh, we do a lot of really complicated things. We'll we'll decommission nuclear power plants to do deep tunnel projects to build some of the longest bridges in the world. You know, we're, we're currently uh, part of the contractor team for SoFi Stadium at the Rams. We were just part of the contractor team that did Mercedes-Benz in Atlanta. We built the retractable roof at USTA. I mean, our, our construction group are probably one of the world's foremost leaders in retractable roof technology. Our group, uh, you know, the group that we're talking to is is everything but construction. So it's our, our sports practice based primarily in Kansas City, but we're a virtual group. And we, we have a, an integrated platform that does design, does economics, does uh, cost management, cost consulting, cost modeling, uh, a whole host of, of engineering's sustainable design, green design, uh, just lots and lots of things. And we deliver that platform all over the world. The other cool thing we do is we have a specialty practice in Olympics. So we've done like eight of the last 10 Olympics. Uh, we're currently the firm that's delivering the sort of soup to nuts for LA 28. We did London, we did Rio. We were cons- we we were our consulting on Tokyo. Not really sure what the path of travel for Tokyo is, um, but yeah, we've got a, a long history in delivering Olympic games too. Which I don't know if you can get any more niche than that. So we do we do a lot of things. I think that the reason that that's you know interesting and relevant to the discussion tonight is it's because of that kind of really 
really unique capacity on you know, on, on September 11th, our one of our former uh, construction executives, a, a gentleman by the name of Dan Tishman, he uh, owned owned a company and you know for a while was on the board. Tishman Construction, one of our big East Coast groups. You know, within within hours of the the Twin Towers collapsing, Dan was in a car headed to uh, meet the then then mayor of of New York City to talk about what are we going to do to put this site back together. And AECOM oversaw the entire sort of rebuild of the of the Ground Zero site. Uh, towers, but you know we also do hurricanes. So when Hurricane Sandy ravaged New York City, we were the firm they called to help put it back together. U.S. Virgin Islands, you name it. And when the pandemic hit, that kind of specialty that we have in in disaster recovery, disaster response, you know, also meant we were tapped on the shoulder to kind of help the Army Corps of Engineer and and many state governments figure out how do we how do we deal with this influx of patients and this crush of of demand that's paralyzing our hospital systems. And we were responsible for many, many, many uh, alternative care facilities, both in the United States, many of the ones you saw on TV in March and April, uh, as well as several around the globe. And so the lessons we learned from that um, crisis mode, you know, building a hospital in, in a park, you know, in less than 30 days and having it stand up to, you know, downpours and, and you know, sub-zero temperatures or freezing temperatures, it, it taught us a lot of valuable lessons for how we can help clients in the sports industry respond to coming out of this crisis, you know, from a, a disinfection and sanitization. Like, how do you tackle how do you tackle the virus head on, and then how does the the protocols with managing a virus that we learned from the healthcare environment, uh, how do we apply those skills to to stadiums, arenas, assemblies, live entertainment, you name it. And uh, it was really serendipitous. We were in charge of the hospital at McCormick Place in Chicago. That particular operator had reached out to us and said, hey, do you know somebody who who does biocontainment or industrial hygiene? You know, an email led to an email led to Mac. And the next thing you know, we've been off and running, sort of applying that exact knowledge that we were using to stand up hospitals. Literally, I don't know, was it Mac? Like within a week, we had put together a plan and we're, we're hitting the market and responding to almost real-time requests from sports clients saying, how do we, how do we do this? Yeah. You know, I think um, it's, there's a lot of conversation about there about what the magic bullet is or what the silver bullet is. And it seems that your experience can help kind of cut through some of that clutter. So we talk about getting fans back in the stadiums, back into arenas, you got sports coming back online. The big question about, you know, college football and NFL be the first one to take the plunge. There's a ton of ideas out there on what needs to happen. So t tell us a little bit about, you know, how do you work through all those ideas and what, what could work? What's leading the conversation right now? You know, Brad, I'll, I'll take a first crack at that. I mean, you know, <clears throat> and let me preface, I'm no Dr. Fauci, right? So you said <laughs> our experts earlier, you know, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I think where my expertise is called upon here is I'm kind of a risk manager. So, you know, it's applying some of the expertise that we do have in, in parts of our company, in particular our environmental and, and engineering, you know, parts of our company, like John referenced, uh, about how you're going to take what we know of this virus and then apply it in some practical way, you know, for, for our workplace, whatever that might be. You know, so sports, I had the pleasure of being the one that really took that call from John you know, Nemeth about how we could help do this in large venues. So, you know, I'll tell you a few things that some of this will definitely not be new, but, you know, it's it's kind of translated, if you will, from folks that have really been looking at this for four or five months in reality. You know, first of all, we all know this, you know, the virus comes from your 
your mouth and your butt. You know, so sorry, but um, I know. You know what? Is I that tried a sci- to get it scientific? Up. Exactly. We're dads here. Okay, <laughs> so from from your poop, from your poopy, depending. On so, you. so fecal matter yeah, is something exactly. to keep a close There's eye on. I saw got a kid it. walking around there behind Andre. You guys, some word you want to use, but um, anyways, it it comes primarily from your mouth, from your spit. You know, so think about a sports game. Everybody, if you're like me, you're like shouting and spitting on the people in front of you, you know, just because that's what you're doing. So, so unfortunately for now, at least, you know, distancing is unfortunately one of our best. That's definitely your biggest risk is the person next to you. And and distancing is your best bet, right? Nobody wants to wear a mask. I don't want to wear a mask. Frankly, masks aren't even that great because we don't wear them right. You know, we take them off. We wear them around our neck. We never wash them. We end up handling them anyways with our dirty hands, you know, so so space it out. But and that's where, John, the ability to model spaces and people movement and pedestrian movement and think logically about how you can kind of aggregate and cue. So John will touch on that. The environmental team, if you will, which is tends to be where I I come from, starts to recommend is, you know, a few very simple things. I mean, first of all, we're going to start to hear more about disinfection versus cleaning you know, cleaning is dirt, disinfection is biohazards, bacteria or viruses. That's the first thing. So we shouldn't be hearing much about housekeeping and cleaning, if you will, in the new normal, uh, whatever you want to call it. It's going to be a little bit more about disinfection, cleaning after you disinfect. You know, there is right now we're telling people, make sure you kind of do read the fine print, unfortunately, because this is a virus, not a bacteria. So if they're talking about germs, you know, that's bacteria. Uh, so, you know, viruses act differently. You know, if they talk about cell structures, it's bacteria. So just anyways, read the fine print. You know, no one's got a silver bullet yet. And then, you know, the thing that's kind of maybe the toughest uh, for us to deal with is this notion of dwell time, you know, which may be a term you've you come across, but it's really just how long it takes for a particular disinfectant to, you know, kill the virus or render it uninfectable. So, you know, in reality, that's very simple science. You know, it's like there's a particular product that does it in seconds. That's available, but tough to get your hands on right now. The hospitals kind of have it, you know, hydrogen peroxide or, or, or accelerated hydrogen peroxide. But everything else you see on your shelves, Clorox, Clorox wipes, you know, that's a form of a couple other products, you know, that we don't need to get into scientifically. But, you know, it's chlorine and ammonia. Basically, you can get that on your products. That's 10 minutes, you know, in reality. So it has to lay on the coated, if you will, on the surface for 10 minutes for it to truly work. Wow, and then there's alcohols. That. This is this is kind of the interesting part that, you know, it, we struggle with even most is that alcohols, they're better. They're kind of five minutes. Like your hand sanitizer, as an example, is mostly alcohol. But in reality, when's the last time you had your hand sanitizer on your hand for more than 30 seconds? It's meant to evaporate, yeah. right? So in reality, hand sanitizer, hand sanitizer does us no good. So anyways... You know, I think that the really impactful stuff, quite frankly, comes with what John's team and kind of the the idea of how do we handle the masses is doing. That what I think we're trying to advise these sports clients and large venue owners is that in reality, you do, though, however, have to start with a clean space, in particular for your talent, your locker rooms, your workers. So it does, in fact, start with, unfortunately, a much better you know, disinfection plan. And I think yeah. one of the things that, you know, as we started talking to folks early on, that 
we really we we came up with the the word we kept hearing. It's you know I don't want to, I don't want us to take credit for it was was confidence, right? So, you know, Brad, you know, you you and I have worked sporting events where we're standing on the sidelines or we're actively participating in running a game from an operations perspective or with clients or whatever. You know, there's like the, the three main constituents being you know the players, the staff, and then the fans, right? So, you know, I, I think. You know, and Matt, correct me if I get this wrong a little bit. I, I know we talked about it the other day, but, you know, one of the things like when this all started, it's like everybody shockingly freaked out a little bit. And they're like, oh, you know, so then a bunch of people kind of rushed into the room. The room got extremely loud and it was a bunch of people saying, go fire your cleaning staff, hire me. I've got the silver bullet. I've got the disinfectant that's going to work. And And the reality is, you don't have to do that, right? You don't have to fire your cleaning staff. You don't have to do those things. You can. That's one of the things that we're we're trying to get across to people is you know we the room got really loud and now it's starting to get quiet again because people are starting to realize that you know to Max's point, there's got to be some social distancing yet. There has to be some science involved because if there's not, you know, we're just back to square one of everybody's kind of guessing. Well, as you, as you talk about the confidence, you know, how is technology playing a role? How are you guys utilizing that, the science, the technology, the art, if you will? You know, John, how are you guys kind of implementing all of those things to try to provide the best solution? You know, I had a great, I had the best setup for my dad joke and you guys just totally ruined it. So now I'm just going to roll. <laughs> That's and kind of a role of being a dad. You got to put, you got to just butt in there with that. I was going to hit it. So I think the point Mark was making about the room getting loud with respect to technology is a great one because there were a lot of, again, sales is about opportunities, right? I don't need to tell the, the two, maybe maybe three, four, all right, you're all excellent salespeople uh, on this call about opportunity and taking advantage of it. The problem is we had a lot of folks in the space, you know, advancing technologies without maybe a proper understanding of what those technologies were intended for. I think Mac makes a great point that we try to deliver, you know, with with as much moistness as we can, because it's a very dry topic. But it's like, look, these technologies, these pr- these protocols, some of these chemicals have not been tested and validated to work. So there are people out there selling you a solution that is not validated. But people are so desperate for something. I mean, you, you kind of rewind in the sports space a little bit. I think people people remember a little bit with shock, you know, the NBA canceling their season in the middle of a game. NCAA tournament or conference tournament starting and then almost immediately stopping. And it was like every day, what's the next thing that's going to make me say, wow, I never thought I would see that. And then, you know, you started to, you started to get the ripple effects of that. So we're, we're talking, you know, primarily in the early days with our collegiate clients, just because, you know, I think they were the ones that, that maybe were more on the clock than, than others. And, and we'd be saying like, don't, don't go out and buy wands. Don't go out and buy infrared room scanners. Don't, you know, just take take a breath. But these were the same people that were getting, you know, punched in the gut with the loss of revenue from cancellation of the basketball tournament, punched in the gut with the cancellation of spring sports. Campuses were closing. So how did we get their attention? How did we get them to focus in a way to say, hey, you you need a plan. You need you don't need you don't need technology. You don't need a widget but you need folks who can be like CDC whisperers, WHO whisperers. Mac makes a great point. We have a deep bench of certified industrial hygienists, biocontainment uh, specialists, and and biocontainment engineers that can put together. It's almost like writing it in crayon. They're much smarter than that. 
but it's it's not we're not writing a phd dissertation we're giving you very simple things that you can follow that combine with some behavior modifications combined with uh, a better understanding of of you know sort of true social distancing can get you can get your operation back up and running and will be the kinds of things that your university president your board your your health officials your governor whoever it is who sort of is holding the lever over your your future we can we can develop a plan as mark mark sort of keyed on that that can be communicated with confidence it's credible it's based in science it's based in all the things that we've we've either been forced to or have to trust on on the path of travel for how we get ourselves out of this football stadium or a restaurant so that that's been you know really our primary message is about look there, there's some basic things we can help you to do some of it starts with behavior and then from behavior we start with with just managing this, the, the repetition, removal of touch, removal of sharing, you know, Mac, Mac sort of teed up the congregation and queuing. When we're talking about arenas or theaters or restaurants or a subway, where are you gonna bunch up people together and how do we prevent that bunching? And then where do lines typically form and how, what do we do to either diminish those lines or space them out? It sounds simple, but now layer that, you know, like peanut butter over the, over the venue that you're, or the experience that you're trying to analyze. And now you have a list of issues, problems, opportunities that we can provide solutions to. And it's, it takes me back to my awesome dad joke. What, what do you call a dog with no legs? What do you call a dog with no legs? I don't know. What do you call a dog with no legs, John? It doesn't matter. He can't come anyway. Uh. <laughs> that, is the issue. that is the issue with our clients we're sitting there we're calling we're calling these clients and say come on come on let us help you and they're like i got no legs i can't come anyway and so it's it's really been as people have started to just process the mental stress i mean we we've also started talking a lot in the context of, of return to confidence about mental health mental health yeah. is it related to the athletes the people experiencing it your fans like it's just it's a whole different ball game arena insert your best cliche but we're really it, it's really a, a solution that requires a lot of different points of expertise to ensure that it can be delivered and it can be delivered with consistency and safety and confidence and you can come and do it again next Saturday well, yeah you know and, and you know I think you know put a bow on that I mean you know just thinking about what a game day looks like it's it's showing up depending on what part of those three buckets you fit in if you're working it you know you're showing up and you just want to do your job if you're playing you just want to play if you're a fan you just want you know i spent money i want to enjoy you know so there's going to be you know there's going to be some scenarios where fans are gonna be like geez I, you know i, I just got to be happy to be in the venue because it's not it, it's not going to be do whatever the heck i want you know scenario so you know it, it's it's going to be different and you know but but not forever you know most likely so i mean i think that's but when we're when we talk about the confidence aspect is you know it's 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 the it's the fear of the PR right so you know you want to go with, with someone who has that science to validate it and I think that's what's one of the conversations we have with folks all the time is you know you know and Max said it I've said it a million times to people I said it to you today Brad I mean you know there's no cure yet and there's no silver bullet however you know. You, you put your trust and faith in folks who are actively working the problem, not coming out with just, you know, here's here's my my latest concoction. It's we're actively working the problem from a scientific pr perspective. 
you know, it's kind of like like a leadership 101 or maybe it's a, a, a you know battlefield metaphor about, you know, your leaders are the ones that run to the fight, not run away from it. And, and again, in the, the early days of this of this issue, there was a, there were there were loud voices in the sports space criticizing people for running towards the fight. You know, at the same time, I think the more and more people that we talk to and this is this is not about us, but it's saying, look, there, there is a there is a there's a path here to help. It's not like, as Mark said, it's not a path to a cure, but we can, we can make our way back from this, but you, we just need to follow some, some very clearly outlined protocols with rigor and we can get people back and we can have it be safe. And I think it's, it's the thing that's been great about, about our team and the thing that I'm most proud about with the work that, you know, Mac and the group has done. I mean, everything the group has done is we haven't listened to those voices that said, run away from the fight. We've been running into it. It's an environment that changes on a daily basis. We've had client meetings, you know, hours after the CDC issues guidance that is is either factually incorrect or maybe hard for people to understand and maybe it gets misinterpreted. And we're, we're trying to, to be that voice of reason and consistency. And our folks who've worked with those entities for decades are saying, well, wait, this is what it sounded like they said, but read the whole text. This is what it meant. And then it's been it's been great to kind of a be validated as some of that stuff has been has been walked back by the groups and corrected. But you see how much of a need there is in the sports space to to provide that, you know, the the pandemic whisperer. I mean, some of our people, I don't know how else to describe it, but it's like we're not telling we're not telling venues, venue operations staff how to run their venues. We're telling them how to do it safer and better in this environment. We're not telling game ops people or stadium ops people how to rearrange the deck chairs. We're just saying, these are the things, these are the protocols you need to lay over just like you would with a great fan experience from customer service or an efficient ticket distribution or an efficient point of purchase for a concession stand, whatever the thing may be, you guys are already, you, you all know how to kill it in your jobs. We're just adding another layer to the top of that. That's going to allow you to keep killing it at your jobs in the future. Cause we got to find a way to get things back and back open. And, and that's really the path that we're trying to help people get back on. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, you guys have listed a, a several key points. I think that people need to consider and look at particularly those that are, that are running these venues. And I think you've made some great points on the confidence that the fans need to go back, that the right decisions are being made. I was in the grocery, or I was in the post office today and I tell you, I, I, I'm not one that's really freaked out about this. I'm, you know, I'm wearing a mask in public places when I need to. I'm, you know, I'm, I was standing in the post office today and, and, and I was constantly thinking about how close the guy was behind me, right? Everybody else was properly distanced, but the guy behind me didn't care. And it was in my mind. And if that was in my mind at a venue and a stadium, how can I enjoy what I'm there for, what I've paid my hundred dollar ticket for? And, and I think it's about having that confidence. So I love as a guy who works in PR, that's such an important part of, you know, the message, the marketing, the public relations, the the conversation amongst all entities, venues, fans, players, et cetera. So, you know, you're getting to kind of the the brass tacks here. I mean, the crystal ball for you guys, what's the short and long term? What do things look like? What's the new normal? And, you know, how long does it take for that confidence to set in? Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously, uh, it does change daily, right? And and it is unfortunately a novel science and reality that some of this they are discovering. So what's the new normal is tough to say. I think there's a few things though, that we can bet on, right? I mean, first of all, in simple terms, particularly in this kind of sports environment, I think John alluded to it earlier. First of all, we're going to go really touchless, you know. I think so. You're gonna, you know, you're gonna. 
use your phone a lot more, quite frankly, to get into spaces and verify that you're allowed to be in that space and and even maybe respond to a, a survey about that space. You know, you're not going to touch a happier, sad button, you know, uh, when you leave the bathroom to, 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 to register your experience. You know, it's going to be something you use with a QR code, maybe. So food service will look differently, certainly in, in regardless of a vaccine. You know, I just think regardless of of when we we have a, a a more comfortable therapeutic solution or 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 truly a vaccine, I think we're going to be touchless. We're going to serve food differently, and, and and I do think you know people are going to expect a clean air space. I mean, I know I said disinfection is the key word, but I think in general terms, you and I, the layman, are going to want a a cleaner space regardless. That's going to be a really heavy burden on these venues, you know, I mean, just like, a, like, think about a movie theater, you know, I got a good friend of mine who owns a very nice movie theater in town and, and he hasn't opened, even though we're in Georgia and you can get, you know, you can do whatever the hell you want. But, and it, and it was in reality, because think about a movie theater, you know, it's like the most disgusting space and you never really thought about it before because you're like, eh, but now you're going to be kind of skeeved out. And I'm not necessarily a guy that gets skeeved out either, but you are going to get skeeved out. So, you know, I do think that's with us. You know, and 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 I don't I don't think it's going to go away. I I think we're going to get over the, the we're going to have to get over the spacing. No one wants to wear masks. We are we are a sharing environment and culture. So like that stuff's going to be harder to get away with. But I mean, that's the best I would guess, Brad, is is we're going to we are all going to demand a cleaner environment and we're going to want to touch a lot less stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think the the other way we've been we've been talking to again, we're trying to we're trying to translate this into into something that we all understand. And I think you know, Brad, you hit on it. it there is a component of this that's very much about sort of XCOM and messaging. And I, I I don't I'm an architect, so I don't I don't always know if PR is the right word, but I think in this case or the right term, but in this case, PR is is, is appropriate. But we've we've said, look, what what happened to safety and security post 9/11? What's, you know, think about the protocols that happen. Think about the reaction. Um, what we've been advising folks is don't make any rash decisions right now. Let's let's get through this year. I think we're going to, our fans' tolerances, the, the community's tolerance for this year is going to be, please, God, just let us see live sports. So <laughs> I think people are going to be willing to to accept a lot of really interesting circumstances this year. So let's let's get through this year. Let's do it safely. Let's take and put all the protective measures in place. Let's start to think about what it looks like to reopen next year. And then after you get through the starting of next season, now let's talk about what long-term changes you might need to make, bricks and mortar, parking lots, concession stands, ticket policies. Like we're, we're telling everybody right now, take a beat. There's lots of, of data and information and procedures and techniques that will get us through the next six to nine months will get us through opening day next year for whoever has opening day. And then now we have some time to be thoughtful. The industry will have matured. We'll let medicine, uh, medicine and science and research give the time they need to properly catch up and develop their plans. So now we'll have, you know, I don't want to be the first person getting stuck in a need with a needle for a vaccine. I, I want them to do that the way they need to do it. But I don't even buy the first iPhone it. when it comes out. I'm not getting stuck with a needle first. No, I'm not <laughs> so I think it's, you know, we're, we're trying to tell people, look, it's, you know, just like, just like 9-11, you know, we got, eventually we got back on airplanes. Eventually we, we gathered in stadiums and arenas. We went to music festivals. 
we ate outside, we walked in parks, like the world, it was tragic. We dealt with it as people, as anybody would with a tragic occurrence. There was trauma, there was processing, there was, you know, emotional, um, emotional issues we had to get through. But eventually we got through them. Our, our trust was restored. Our confidence was restored. And we started to get back to, to normal again. And I think that's the way we hope this is going to go. And at least, like I say, that's, that's what we're advising to folks. So don't, don't make any big decisions. Don't make any big purchases. Don't make any big changes. But let's start planning for those 12, 14 months down the road. Smack you know, one up. thing I want to add, Brad, if I could, you know, to that, and it's something we alluded to earlier, this notion of behaviors, right? So in 9-11, such a really interesting analogy, very easy to make, right? And, and how we both kind of overreacted maybe in a way uh, to a situation, not overreacted, obviously, that's the wrong word, but we, you know, that the industry just reacted with insanity, you know, and speed, you know, and then we've, we all kind of were free, you know, skeeved out in a different way back then, and we've kind of gotten used to it, right? So, and but in reality, what what has changed is so we there is some infrastructure that's been in place. You know, you go through security stuff now, and you know, so maybe you're going to go through thermal. You know, maybe there's some changes in the way you experience a venue, but but in reality, we changed the behaviors. You know, a lot, and and we all had to kind of change our behaviors. Like you don't joke about bombs. You know, at an airport, you know, you don't, you don't really kind of like try and carry suspicious packages. You know, you don't you take that crap kind of seriously now, though. So, like, I think that's going to be an important message. It's something we're really trying to hit on now with our clients. It's like, man, some of this stuff is easy, <laughs> you know, cleaning a little bit better or disinfecting a little bit better. And maybe I'm you know, marking off urinals or just kind of spacing out seats a little bit right now. It's actually kind of easy. It's like, well, how do you teach your student athletes to not share the dumbbell? you know, which they shared all the time. And yeah. how do they, you teach them not to wipe their face with all their spit and then high five. And like, how do you teach them to spread out even after they're running? So they're not kind of over breathing at everybody, like at least in the near term, like those behaviors are, are tough. Those are the things that really we kind of all have to accept. We, we keep talking about the, the, the venues, the venues, the venues, but I think the point we've been trying to drill home to folks now, like with a lot of emphasis and force is if you lose your locker room, if you lose your training room, if you lose your weight room, it doesn't matter what you did in your stadium because there won't be a game to be played. So to Max point, like we, we have to focus on where it's important. It's, it's athlete behavior, it's coach behavior, it's training, athletic medicine staff behavior. We got to really focus on that because if you lose it there, that's where the kids are going to get infected. That's where the professional athletes are going to get infected. And, and the, the seasons are over again. Confidence is gone. To your yep. other point, yeah. confidence is gone. Everybody's done. Restarting and, the second time is going to be really hard. Well, and, you know, and just to kind of, you know, add to, add to what both of them said, especially John, the one point he made is, you know, we do, we do a lot of these, you know, since this is this is all come come about. And, you know, we usually have a Q&A with a group of, you know, administrators or whatever. And and people will ask, you know, kind of what Mac was saying that, you know, I just bought this, you know, and I just bought that. And the box said it's a 30 day guarantee or this or that. And I think, you know, so, you know, and I think a lot of people are, 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 are you know, to Mac's point, take a breath, ask the right people the right question, because you know, I cannot tell you how many times we've had administrators on calls and our scientists will be like that will do absolutely nothing to help you and now you're out of money you spent that money on something that you could have spent on something else that would actually work so you know it's confidence is something you have to create by using all these tools 
And, and and once you do, you have to be able to say it out loud to the constituents that, you know, we've done these things in this order. This is the best we know today. And that's going to have to be what we have for confidence right now. And I right. think and it, and it should be enough. Well, guys, I, I can't thank you enough for that insight. I can't thank you for joining us. I mean, it, it's obvious there's a lot of balance that's needed in these conversations, a lot of confidence that needs to be restored. But I think you guys are on the right track in, in helping them get there. But it's an uphill climb. And speaking of climbs, do you guys know what kind of a tree an architect climbs? Oh, Geometry. <laughs> hey, what, what, do you, what do you call it when Batman slips church? I don't know. Christian Bale. <laughs> All right, everybody. Hey, thanks to the guys at AECOM for joining us. This is uh, great insight, and we look forward to seeing all the great work you guys are doing ahead. Thanks again. Thank you all. Thank you. Thanks, Brad. Thanks, guys. Thank you. You know, Andres, I don't know how many people found that interesting. For me, it was fascinating. You know, those guys have such a unique look at the world that, that I spend so much time in and we spend in with our business. But just even for you know the layman fan, I would imagine it was pretty interesting. Look, I had a lot of questions I wanted to ask those guys, but the the interview was flowing, so I thought it was cool. One of the things I thought was neat is, and we didn't get a chance to talk about this, but having moved back to Atlanta in 16 from Kansas City, did you know that Kansas City, in the middle of the country, not New York, not San Francisco, not Chicago, not London, but Kansas City is the sports architecture capital of the world, Brad? I did. And, you know, it, this, what an incredible history. I know your roots Amazing. are there. Amazing. I mean, great history. And um, not um, only do they have the best, I would argue, barbecue in the country and the best quarterback <laughs> in the NFL. Well, let's not get crazy. The, but, uh, no, it's just it's neat to uh, when you go back and, and you look at the history of sports architecture and – Basically, the two firms that kind of built most of the ballparks and stadiums around the world over the last 40 years and now the spinoff firms, um, it was neat to have, uh, obviously, those those uh, guys on. It's cool. Well, you know, there was HOK was kind of one of the grandfathers after a couple smaller firms kind of built up and then HOK became Populous and now HOK is back after a non-compete ended with Populous. Um, AECOM sports uh, group and you know John Namath who's gonna who joined us there uh, you know is based out of Kansas City I mean it's some of the it's there's some brilliant brains there but anyway really cool industry something to keep your eye on and good to know that there's great people out there leading the way so we can all get back and enjoy our uh, seventh inning stretches if there's baseball if there's not we'll get into uh, all of our favorite venues and most importantly hopefully we can watch some college football from uh, Between the Hedges this fall. All right, Andres, one of my favorite segments, the Millennial Minute. So my Millennial Minute this week is an interesting one because every time y'all call me a millennial, I'm always like, am I a millennial? Am I not? Like, I've always been really confused. And this weekend, y'all probably didn't see it or hear about it because you're not on Twitter but there was a generational debate that sparked on Sunday morning, and it all started with a Gen Zer calling millennials, just calling them out for all their millennial traits. And the chain on Twitter is insane. You can be scrolling and scrolling about all. Everyone's just taking shots. There's a literal generational war going on. And then finally, someone was like, the people who are confused about if you're not a millennial, but I'm definitely not a Gen Z, 
I didn't know a zillennial is a real thing. It's the micro generation born between 1993 and 1998, which is exactly where I land. And Everything about Zillennial is exactly me. So I feel a bit of clarification today, knowing that I'm not a millennial nor a Gen Z, but the debate is crazy. That's something to keep an eye on. You know, I feel bad sometimes millennials have gotten a bad rap, but then sometimes I work in certain environments and I realize that some of those things are warranted. Um, I don't know enough about the Gen Z population yet, but you know, Andres, you and I are at the back end of Generation X, Gen Gen X, right? That's the other thing everyone's calling out because everyone's like, oh, boomers, hey, millennials, Gen Z, hey, boomers. But no, it's talking about Gen X. So y'all are kind of the forgotten. We get forgotten. Yeah, it's boomers. And then X was like the Kurt Cobain and kind of the 90s grunge era. And yeah, people just kind of skip over it. I wouldn't say forgotten. I'd say we've got our act together and we're doing all right. Don't mess with what ain't. Hey, you can't fix what ain't broken. Thanks for this week's Millennial Minute Twist. Good insight. Yeah, you're welcome. Well, hey, let's jump in to wrap things up here with this week's Final Four. And in honor of our guests from AECOM and some of the amazing buildings that they've been a part of, I thought it'd be fun for us to talk about our favorite sports venue. Twist, I think I know the answer. What you got? I mean, you, you think I'm going to say Clemson Memorial Stadium, which obviously there's the most memories I have from there. But the Braves, the battery... The battery is just so fun. I love the establishment. It's the most fun place I've ever been to with everything they have. So Braves, for sure. Battery, battery. build my love for baseball again. That's no joke. The battery and being around the battery build my love for going to baseball games live and in person. Okay. So good one. DJ. You know, there's a lot of cool stadiums out there, and there's so much new stuff, technology, uh, making the fan experience amazing. But You know what? I'm a small town Kansas boy, and I would be disrespecting Kansas City, the home of sports architecture, as you said, Brad, (laughs) if I did not choose the Truman Sports Complex. It was revolutionary. It was way ahead of its time. It's home of the Kansas City Royals and the Kansas City Chiefs, Super Bowl champs. They share a common parking lot. Some of the best tailgating in the world happens it's stronger for the Chiefs than it is for the Royals. Legendary. So I, I got to keep it at home with the Truman Sports Complex in Kansas City. Good one. I mean, you got you to gotta rep your hometown, man. I mean, it, look, I, I'm with Ann on the battery. Atlanta is my home, but uh, my best sports memory ever was opening day at the Jake Jacobs Field, Cleveland, the Cleveland Indians, a stadium that birthed a resurgence of the franchise. Got a chance to go to opening day with my dad. It's now called Progressive Field, but I've got great memories of that place, and it was hard to replace the memories I had of the dump that was Municipal Stadium, but (laughs) Jake for me, Progressive Field, my top spot, home of my greatest memory too. So what do you guys think? What's what's our fourth one? I think we've all been able to celebrate some pretty good uh, events in our hometown here, but what do you guys think? Uh, You know, if you're going to go with something that's just over the top, big, huge, technology, comfort, um, you got to keep it at home. Mercedes-Benz Stadium. I, I got to see the college football playoff, um, Heisman winner Joe Burrow. They demolished OU. We had great seats. Um, so for me, one of the best stadiums I've been in that's new is, is definitely right here at home, that Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Yeah, I mean, everything they've done with that place, the way Arthur Blank leads that organization, the way he built it, the way they set their concessions up, I totally agree, man. Great venue. Hopefully we'll be back in there soon. 
right? Watch the Georgia Bulldogs beat the Clemson Tigers in the national what championship sometime soon. Let's hope in so. Your dreams. Coming your way. In your dreams. All right, guys. Thanks for another great episode to all of our listeners out there. Don't forget to comment. Let us know what you think. And let us know what you'd like to hear. Check us out. This is this week's episode of Biz Dads. We're out. Bye.